You're listening to the OT's Gone Rogue podcast, where we inspire therapists to think outside the box and do things differently. I'm your host, Melissa LaPointe. My passion is in helping OT entrepreneurs have a bigger impact on the world while building a life they love and doing transformative work that lights them up. On each episode of the show, I'm going to share tools and tricks to help you flex your entrepreneurial muscles and grow your business from the inside out. I want to see more OTs step up as visionary leaders, change makers, and influential CEOs. So let's get started. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the OTs Gone Rogue podcast. More specifically, a welcome back to the Clinician to Coach series. This is the six-part series where I am sharing my best strategies to help you start your coaching business and grow it to consistent 5K and even 10K months without overwhelm or burnout. We kicked things off with our first episode where we pulled back the curtain on the dark side of coaching. We touched on why healthcare professionals are burning out. We also talked about the trends and opportunities in the coaching industry. We talked about the concerns around industry regulation or lack thereof. And you learned some of the potential issues with coaching certification programs. Last but not least, you learned that there's more to the conversation in terms of what we need to consider as health professionals navigating the coaching world. Now that we set the stage, let's take this conversation a little deeper. Today, we're going to be looking at what coaching is and what coaching is not. More specifically, we are going to be unpackaging how coaching is different from therapy and how consulting is different from coaching. My intentions with this episode are simple. If you're going to be offering coaching services, I want you to have confidence and clarity in the role that you are playing as a coach. I want you to be able to clearly articulate and describe what it is that you are providing through this coaching program or this coaching service. And I want you to feel confident in how you navigate the gray area between coaching in the online space and how you're showing up as a licensed, regulated healthcare professional. In the last seven years, I have helped dozens and dozens and dozens of therapists to navigate the online space as entrepreneurs, as coaches, as mentors and consultants, as course creators as membership site owners, so the list goes on and on. If you are a regulated and licensed healthcare professional, we all understand that we have specific rules and regulations that we have to abide by in order to maintain our licensure. This is a new. With that being said, I want to assure you it is still possible to do this while operating in the online space meaning you don't have to choose one or the other. You don't have to choose between being a regulated licensed healthcare professional or having a revenue stream in the online space. You can do both. Now, there is a reason why there's a growing number of attorneys who are now specializing not just in healthcare, 
but health and wellness in the online space. So when we talk about a growing number of opportunities, well, it's not just for healthcare professionals. It's also for people, business consultants, advisors, and attorneys who are supporting said healthcare professionals, meaning working online isn't a new concept. And finding that support, having attorneys who specialize not only in healthcare, but in health and wellness in the online space is not a new concept. I know this because I've attended training sessions with these attorneys. I've listened to their podcasts. I've gone through their websites. I've gone through their template offerings. I've looked at their programs. I've read their articles and I've consulted directly with some of them, meaning I have accumulated a lot of knowledge in this area in the last several years. With that being said, I'm going to kick off this episode. Well, we're a little ways into it, but this is as good a time as any to have a very clear disclaimer. The content that I am sharing in this episode is for general information purposes only. I am not a lawyer. This information is not intended to provide legal advice of any kind and may not be used for professional or commercial purposes. No one should act or refrain from acting based solely upon the content provided in this episode without first seeking appropriate legal or other professional advice. Once again, I am reiterating, I am not here to give you legal advice. Instead, what I want you to do with this episode is to take the information I'm giving you, take the information that I'm sharing today, and disseminate it in a way that feels comfortable for you based on the advice that you are receiving. So for your particular state or province and based on your risk tolerance. So you're going to take what you want from this episode and you're going to leave the rest. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, let's jump in. We have a lot of things to cover. We are going to start off by talking about what it means if you are a licensed regulated health professional. This means that your licensure trumps everything. If you have a yoga certification and an OT license, your licensure as an OT trumps that of your yoga certification. If you are a personal trainer, your regulatory body, the rules that you have to follow as an OT trumps what you can do as a personal trainer. If you are a birth coach, the rules and regulations you need to follow as a therapist trumps your role as a birth coach. If you are a licensed regulated therapist, you are obligated to follow the laws and rules that apply to your profession, regardless of whether you are providing therapy or coaching. Meaning, now, I said I wasn't going to tell you what to do, but with that being said, you can't just decide that today you're an OT and you're working with a client in your state or your province, but tomorrow you have a new client that's outside of your state or your province. So you're going to call yourself a coach so that you can work with them in the same way because coaching is within our scope of practice, but because they're outside of your state or your province, you're going to call yourself a coach instead of an OT. Same methodology, same tools, same resources, same approach, but you're just changing your title on a whim. That, my friends, is a slippery, slippery slope. 
And I'm going to go out and say, it's not professional. So already you can see that there are some murky waters here. And I'm seeing this happen. I'm seeing it happen in the online space. And full disclosure kind of drives me crazy. We know better. So we're going to keep going. We are going to work together on navigating this. But I'm going to reiterate, regardless of whether you are coaching full-time or as an adjunct to a therapy practice, as a licensed provider, you have to be clear about the services that you're providing and to whom you are providing them. This clarity will not only help you in your marketing, but it's also going to ensure that your clients understand what services they are receiving and in what context. So how does this translate to coaching? especially given everything we covered last week about this being an unregulated industry. Well, first, let's talk about how to differentiate between coaching, therapy, and consulting. Once we're clear on these different roles, we'll then dive into the marketing and positioning side of things. All right, let's start with consulting. Now, I'm going to go through a few different definitions of consulting. There's not a wrong or right definition. Same thing is going to apply to coaching. What I want is for you to find what resonates for you, for the work that you're doing, and then I want you to be consistent in describing it. All right? So there's the Wikipedia definition of consulting. A consultant is a professional, also known as an expert or a specialist, who provides advice and other purposeful activities in an area of specialization. We all know therapists who have worked as consultants or who have provided consulting services. These consulting services may be specific to occupational therapy. So when I had my brick and mortar, when I had my private practice, I was an occupational therapy consultant to private schools. That was one of my Well, I had several contracts with different private schools as well as different homeschooling um, organizations. Today, I am working as a consultant, but not as an occupational therapist. So I have a consulting contract. When you look at the request for proposal with my municipal government, there was no mention of occupational therapy. They were looking for a consultant with experience in healthcare. But if you go back and listen to my episode on my return to in-person work, it wasn't specific to occupational therapy. Yes, there was a list of criteria and having some experience, not even as a healthcare professional, but having some experience working with healthcare professionals, that was one of the requirements. But there was a certain level of business acumen, of project management. You know, there were a different set of criteria that they were looking for for this particular contract. So you can have it both ways. You can be an occupational therapy consultant, but you can also be consulting outside of occupational therapy. Another definition. So this one is from Alan Weiss. He is a very well-known consultant. He is an author. He is a coach. He is actually a coach and a consultant to consultants. (laughs) So his definition of a consultant is someone who improves the condition, or excuse me, improves the client's condition by offering advice and guidance on-site and off-site for the duration of a project and the achievement of the project's objectives and values. So with a project, there is a clear start time and end time. So a clear duration. There are objectives and values related to that project. 
Another way to describe a consultant, so someone who provides expertise and solves business problems or develops an organization as a whole. So in this scenario, the consultant is dealing with the overall organization or specific parts of that organization and not individuals within it. Ultimately, the biggest difference, the biggest takeaway that I want you to get from this. So the difference between coaching and consulting is around what the client gets from it. So with coaching, there aren't any tangible deliverables. It's very much about the time that you get with your coach. With consulting, you're typically dealing with a situation where there are deliverables involved. So with my coaching clients, I am asking questions and holding space and helping them to reflect on the situation, practicing my active listening. With my consulting clients, generally when I'm on a call with them, I am providing updates. I may be sharing a report. So where we are in terms of timelines, where we are in terms of our project deliverables. So the context of that call is very different depending on if it's with a consulting client or a coaching client. Now, when I talk about deliverables, this could be anything from a strategic plan to a training session to executing on a set of tactics. And so again, that's something generally that is determined during your coaching, excuse me, during your consulting proposal and when you sign that contract. All right, so that's consulting. Now let's look at coaching. In last week's episode, you heard about all the different ways that people can show up as coaches, meaning this is a very broad umbrella. Oh, let's go through some different definitions of coaching. This first definition is from Tim Galway. So he is the founder of The Inner Game, and many consider him to be the pioneer of the current coaching movement. Tim describes coaching as unlocking a person's potential to maximize their own performance. It is helping them to learn rather than teaching them. Another definition, so this one's from the International Coaching Federation. How they define coaching is partnering with clients in a thought-provoking and creative process that inspires them to maximize their personal and professional potential. Clients often say they've created a new outlook on life, finding inspiration, courage, confidence, and answers to long-burning questions within themselves. According to the International Coaching Federation, for many, coaching is a life-changing experience that dramatically improves their outlook on work and life while improving leadership skills. Coaching helps people tap into their potential, unlocking sources of creativity and productivity. Then we have Tony Robbins. So his area of expertise is in life coaching. He says the fundamentals of life coaching are what distinguishes it from therapy, where life coaches do not diagnose while therapists determine illnesses and pathologies so they can be clinically treated. Now, we can talk about therapists being able to diagnose, but not the intention of this episode. Therapists, according to Tony Robbins, analyze their 
client's past as a tool for understanding present behaviors, whereas life coaches simply identify and describe current problematic behaviors so the client can work to modify them. Now, I'm not saying that this is the gold standard of differentiating between coaching and therapy. I'm simply pulling different examples from frequently referenced sources, and I want you to use your critical thinking in terms of what feels the best, what fits, what makes the most sense for you and your situation. Another perspective on how therapists and coaches defer is from Bill Cole. So he's an internationally recognized authority on peak performance and coaching. He says that coaching is an educational discovery-based process of human potential. Therapy is based on the medical model that says people have psychiatric maladies that need to be repaired. Coaching focuses on self-exploration, self-knowledge, professional development, performance enhancement, and better self-management. Therapy seeks to heal emotional wounds. Coaching takes clients to the highest levels of performance and life satisfaction. Therapy seeks to bring clients from a dysfunctional place to a healthy functioning level. Coaching assumes a co-equal partnership between coach and client. Therapy assumes the therapist to be more of the expert and in control. Right, let's shift gears a little bit. And I want to give some definitions of health coaching. A health coach is ideally a healthcare professional trained in behavior change theory, motivation strategies, and communication techniques. All of these are used to assist the clients to develop intrinsic motivation and obtain skills to create sustainable change for improved health and well being. Unfortunately, as we discussed in last week's episode, there is no rule nor is there a regulation that in order to be a health coach, you have to first be a healthcare professional. I would argue that it should be highly recommended, but it is not a requirement. A definition of health coaching from, so this one's from Duke Integrative Medicine. They define health coaching as the process of creating a dynamic partnership that moves the client towards satisfying and healthy lifestyles. It's about helping clients to clarify an optimal health vision, exploring options and steps for realizing that vision, enhancing personal accountability, and taking action to achieve and sustain their goals. By focusing on the mind, body, spirit, and community, Health coaches help clients to make changes that support their values and vision of their optimal health. Right, let's look at what Jessica Drummond has to say. So Jessica is with the, or founder of the Integrative Women's Health Institute. So this is where I completed my women's health coaching certification. They say that coaching is unlocking a person's potential to live a healthy, vibrant, and purposeful life as a whole human being by her definition. Coaching is supporting her to transform with a full suite of resources and skills rather than fixing her. Healthy behaviors are intimately connected with day-to-day life behaviors, which are ideally based on the client's current vision. 
And then the last one I want to mention, so the National Board of Health and Wellness Coaching. According to their website, health and wellness coaches partner with clients seeking self-directed, lasting changes aligned with their values, which promote health and wellness and thereby enhances well-being. In the course of their work, health and wellness coaches display unconditional positive regard for their clients and a belief in their capacity for change. Honoring that each client is an expert on his or her life, while ensuring that all interactions are respectful and non-judgmental. It's interesting to look at these various coaching definitions through an OT lens, isn't it? Your brain might be screaming right now, or you might be screaming out loud. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is OT. <laughs> I am not arguing with you as I go through these definitions. I'm like, huh, kind of sounds like what we learned in school about what OT is and client-centeredness and a holistic approach to health and well-being. But again, let's stay focused on the point of today's episode. So we're going to keep going with this conversation. And then we'll talk about positioning yourself as a therapist versus as a coach. Okay, so Coaches offer the client the ability to see outside of their own limitations. Coaching is the assumption that the client comes into the engagement with resources, skills, ideas, and strengths. Coaching is distinct from consulting or healthcare. So coaching is support over expertise. Coaching is a partnership over expertise. So often as the consultant or as the therapist, you're coming in as the specialist. You're coming in as the expert, but not in coaching. So as you can see, there is a necessary overlap between coaching and skilled education. You can see this. I can see this as OTs. We definitely see the value of having people with a professional level of training who are in a coaching role. It makes sense. There are many health professionals who are licensed and regulated in a specific state or province. Well, if you are a health professional, you have to be licensed and regulated in a specific state or province. They have a clinical practice. And there are some who are utilizing their coaching skills within that clinical practice. So they are not calling themselves a coach per se. They are still identifying or still branding themselves as a therapist. So of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's important to consider the difference between a professional coaching relationship where you're promoting and marketing yourself as a coach versus using coaching skills as part of your clinical practice, all right? So for obvious reasons, the focus of this episode is really helping people to understand. So when you're using coaching skills as part of your clinical practice, I feel like that's pretty black and white, carry on. But it's when you want to be promoting and marketing yourself as a coach, that, that gray area, those murky waters, that's where we're going to continue the conversation because there's more, there's a, a deeper dive to be done. So as I mentioned, there can be overlap. but it is up to you to clearly differentiate how you are navigating that space. And here's the catch. I want you to get clear on this before you engage in services with a client. 
So this is a good time for us to talk about what I mean by the coaching relationship. A professional coaching relationship exists when coaching includes a business agreement or a contract that defines the responsibilities of each party. A professional coaching agreement or a professional coaching relationship is not in place if you are simply using your coaching skills as part of your healthcare practice, right? So that's a key differentiating factor here. When we're talking about the coaching relationship or the coaching agreement, it's also important that we acknowledge our ability to choose our clients. So in a more traditional healthcare setting, there are different ethical considerations. So different things in place in terms of when a client may or may not be a good fit for our therapy services. If that client has self-referred or if the referral has come from another healthcare professional or for whatever reason there's a conflict of interest or if you don't see it as a good fit, there's a different process as a therapist that we must follow in our clinical practice for referring them onto someone else. In our coaching practice, it is very different. And not only is it very different, with your coaching practice, it is very important that it is the right fit with your potential clients. So a coaching relationship is distinct from a healthcare relationship. A coaching relationship requires stated commitment from the client that they are engaging in this work because as a coach, your role will be empowering them to make changes to their behaviors. So it's not that you're doing something to them passively. You're not making passive recommendations. You're not showing up as the expert. You are showing up in partnership and the client needs to be at an appropriate stage of readiness for this change to be successful. Meaning it's important that the client is the right fit for your services. They have to be at that right stage of readiness. You can set this up so you can be screening potential clients. You can set it up that way. Or you can have it set up so that they are self-selecting. So based on the way that you are marketing yourself, that you're promoting your services. Now, as you evolve in your coaching practice, you are going to become more and more clear. So you're going to get better at articulating this, not only about the characteristics of the people that you have the ability to best serve, your, your niche, your ideal client avatar, but you're also going to get better at articulating the problem or the problems that you're solving. So who is an appropriate client for coaching? Well, some of the things that you want to consider in terms of who is a good fit for coaching. So are they seeking or are they actively seeking help? Are they aware that they have a problem? Are they ready for change? Do they have capacity for change? Are they coachable? Are there any mental health challenges? Does this person have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset? As your coaching practice evolves, you are going to get better at identifying who's an appropriate client for coaching and who is not. In the beginning, it is harder to say no to people. When you're just getting started as a coach, you're eager to sign clients up and you're eager to generate revenue. I get it. 
But you will get to a point where the money, the revenue, the signups, it's not going to be worth it if your clients aren't the right fit for what it is that you're offering. With all of that being said, there are also some red flags to consider when identifying appropriate clients or perhaps identifying clients who may not be an appropriate fit at all. Now, this isn't an extensive list, but some red flags for coaching might include excessive anger, reckless or impulsive behavior, irrational, repetitive, compulsive, or obsessive actions. Red flags may include complaints of acute lack of sleep and somatic disorders, unresolved prolonged grief, signs of paranoia, signs of chronic anxiety, relentless fatigue, suicide ideation, talking about harming others, depression, eating disorders, substance abuse or addiction, neurotic tendencies, psychosis such as schizophrenia, personality disorders, and bipolar tendencies, acts of violence, consistently blaming or shaming, consistently lying, dishonesty, or sexually inappropriate behavior. As therapists, many of us, I may say all of us, we have experience working with people who at some point have been exhibiting some of these red flags. And if you're already working with someone who's exhibiting any of these red flags, you have to be very clear. Are you their therapist or are you their coach? So again, you're going to hear me repeat this so many times. The context in which we are working with our clients, if any of these red flags come up, is really, really important. Some of these red flags, you can screen for them, but sometimes it may not show up on your discovery call. It may not show up on an intake form. So you could be working with someone in a coaching relationship for quite some time. You know, things happen. You could be working with them. The coaching relationship could be strongly established. You could be six months in and something changes. You get to know them better or life changes. And some of these red flags are showing up. If you are their therapist, where you're also utilizing certain coaching tools throughout your relationship, that's a different situation, right? So if you're a therapist, you're working with them and some of these red flags pop up, okay, therapist who's using some coaching tools with that client, that is a different situation. I want to talk about the coaching agreement, right? So if you are working with someone as a coach, and this is why it's really important as therapists to get clear on how we are working with someone. You don't want to be jumping from one role to the other. It is a slippery slope. Now, if someone's showing some of these red flags, I'm not saying they can't be working with a coach. There are sometimes people who have worked with a coach and a therapist at the same time. Myself, personally, I have worked with both a coach and a therapist at the same time. So I'm not saying you have to choose one or the other. What I am saying is that as the practitioner, you shouldn't be fulfilling both of these roles. Now, there are, I'm not going to cite any specific legal or ethical restrictions that would prohibit you as a coach if you're also a registered or licensed therapist. So there's nothing prohibiting you if you're the coach than entering into a therapeutic relationship with someone once that coaching relationship has ended. 
or if someone is a therapy client and you've discharged them, there are no legal or ethical restrictions stopping them from becoming a coaching client. But there's a difference between legal and ethical restrictions and best practice. Now I'm going to back up. I hope you heard me say, you know, when that coaching relationship has ended or when that therapy client has been discharged. Meaning even if you are going to be doing coaching and therapy, it is not at the same time. It's a different type of service. I would still recommend that you not be the same person to offer both. So as you can see, it can get muddy. It can get complicated. There can be overlap. So do your best to keep this clear. I want to keep, so I'm recording this episode with you in mind. You're at, you know, you're first and foremost in my mind when I created this episode, when I researched this, when I pulled together the content. But what I need you to do is also carefully consider your client. So what are their needs and what is most appropriate for them when we have the ability to be both a coach and a therapist? Because people may very well benefit from coaching and therapy at the same time, but not from the same provider. These are different types of services. So we have to separate that. We have to be very, very clear. I will reiterate yet again, I am not here to give you legal advice, but I am here to try to make your life easier. I am here to help you build a sustainable coaching practice that doesn't give you a headache, that doesn't keep you awake at night, worried about the OT police, worried that you're crossing too many lines and it feels really messy and heavy in the back end of your practice. I want to help you to make this easy and staying in your lane, keeping your coaching and your therapy separate. This makes it so much easier. So what exactly do I mean by keeping it separate? Let's break that down a little bit more. So it is recommended a best practice that if you're seeing a client for therapy, that's the world they stay in. If they're interested in working with a coach, if they're suitable for coaching, you can refer them to a colleague. There is enough work out there for all of us. If you're providing coaching services to a client and you sense that they could benefit from working with a therapist, discuss your concerns with them and offer a referral to another provider. It is so much easier if we just keep it separate. If you're coaching a client who has seen another provider for therapy, don't overstep your role as a coach. Don't try to be all the things to all the people. Get clear on the role that you are playing. Get clear on the hat that you're wearing and get this in writing. We're going to talk about that coaching agreement here in a moment. So you're going to be very clear on the services that you're providing. This is one of the fundamental pieces to growing a sustainable coaching practice. Separate it from your therapy practice. It is going to make your life so much easier. It is going to make your marketing easier. It is going to make your business setup, your entre entrepreneurial management so much easier. Clarity is key. I cannot emphasize that enough. Be clear about the services you provide and to whom you provide them. This clarity is not only going to help you in your marketing, but it's also going to help to ensure your clients understand what services they are receiving and in what context. 
This will help them to be more successful. Everyone's on the same page. All right, so what do I mean by getting it in writing? Let's talk about the coaching agreement. So this is another differentiating factor between therapy and coaching. In healthcare, there's not a set agreement with each client and each patient. We understand that healing in healthcare, it's not, so it's very non-linear. It can often be unpredictable. There is no set process. There is no specific timeline. A coaching agreement, however, is a legally binding agreement. It is best to create yours with the assistance of an attorney. So an attorney who specializes in coaching, who is familiar with healthcare scope of practice and understanding the laws in your province and in your state. The good news is we have more attorneys going into the online space with leveraged offers, meaning now you can find a number of attorneys who have templates, who have packages, making it much more affordable. So you do what works for you. Completing a coaching agreement, this sets the expectation for the client and sets clear boundaries for the coach. It should include an explanation of what coaching is and what services are provided. It should include information about the different parties and their obligations. And it should include an overview of the coach's credentials and qualifications. A coaching agreement will describe the coaching process, including how many appointments or how many sessions there will be, how often you'll meet, and the expectations of the client in terms of their commitment to the process. Coaching agreement could include specifics on the refund policy, scheduling, payment options. All of this you can have in writing. The coaching agreement may also state that the services being provided do not constitute therapy, counseling, or the practice of psychotherapy, and that a referral will be offered if the services are needed or requested. This agreement is essential if there are any problems that come up later in the professional relationship. There's also something to be said in terms of the energetic commitment. So energetically, the coaching agreement signifies your commitment to each other as a coach and as a client. And it's also representative of the client's commitment to themselves. Right? We have coaching agreements. Then we have disclaimers. So disclaimers, again, a great thing to have on your website, when we think of disclaimers, so what you're offering, if you have a blog, if you have free resources, if you have a podcast, if it is related to healthcare. So again, get clear, get clear on what you're offering, that this isn't medical advice, that this is informational purposes or for informational purposes only. It's not intended to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So you get to decide based on a consultation, perhaps with an attorney what you are including in terms of a coaching agreement and where you're including these disclaimers. Now, next week, we're going to talk more about setting up and marketing your coaching business. But for the purpose of today's episode, I want to mention what I consider to be the gold standard in terms of keeping your coaching and your therapy practices separate. The gold standard is to have your coaching set up as a separate business, a separate entity, including a separate website. So when I say separate, I mean totally separate. 
In the ideal world, at the very least, you have separate tabs on your website where it's very clear that they are two different services. If you are actively practicing as a therapist, you want to avoid any overlap between your therapy business and your coaching business. Ideally, I mean separate financial accounts, separate contracts, separate policies, separate marketing materials. That is ideal. Again, at the very least, have it as two separate tabs, right? If you're going to keep it together, do your best, but that's the gold standard. Keep it separate. In terms of your marketing efforts, so your marketing efforts for your therapy practice should be separate from your coaching business. So again, the more you can separate it, the better. Now, I have to say this. I'm going to acknowledge that you're going to be listening to this episode, then you're going to be going out in the real world, and you're going to see all kinds of physiotherapists and occupational therapists who are not following what I'm saying. (laughs) You know what? There are lots of people. Again, it comes down to your risk tolerance. And I've had people say, but Melissa, they have thousands of followers. Okay. That doesn't mean that we all get to choose what we're doing. And the, you know, the confidence that you have in what you're doing, that's on you. Just be careful with who you're mimicking and who you're following because the amount of Instagram followers or the amount of Facebook likes, or it, this doesn't mean that they have, it doesn't mean that they're doing things in a way that's in line with best recommendations, right? You get to decide what works for you. I'll leave it at that. That's all I'm going to say about that, right? The onus is on you at the end of the day, based on your risk tolerance, based on your province, based on your state, based on your business, the onus is on you to decide how you're going to have this set up, how you're going to market, how you're going to carry yourself as a coach and or a therapist. In terms of marketing, so can you reference your OT license when marketing your coaching services or your coaching business? This is a question I get often. Generally speaking, you shouldn't be using your therapy title to market your coaching practice, but you can reference your degrees when sharing more about your background and training. As a licensed, regulated healthcare professional, you have an ethical responsibility to ensure your coaching clients know your licensure status, but they need to understand that they're not signing up for therapy. Now, this can be part of your informed consent process. So for example, let's say I'm talking to a potential client named Jessica. I might say something like, okay, Jessica, just so you understand, I am a licensed occupational therapist. However, the work that we are doing together doesn't fall under my therapy work. You and I are going to be engaged in a coaching process. We are working in a coaching relationship. Here's the package I offer and explaining the refund policy, how many sessions are included, our communication guidelines. So this is the package that I offer, how long we're going to be working together, Here's an overview of what exactly coaching is. I give her my my spiel, my definition. And here's my coaching agreement. So it has everything in writing. We can go through this together. And then before you sign up and go through with your credit card purchase, you're going to have a little ticky box that is going to confirm you understand this coaching agreement. You are signing it. You are agreeing to the terms and conditions. And then we will start our work together. 
So again, your clients are going to understand that the work you're doing together is coaching and not therapy. Now, coming back to my disclaimer, I am not an attorney. This is not meant to give you legal advice. This is highlighting where you may be comfortable in taking action and where you may want to get more information or where you may want to consult with an attorney, or at the very least, look into different coaching agreements, different templates that can offer you some level of protection. Now, one thing we didn't talk about, we didn't get into is insurance. Now, again, this is going to be very specific to your practice. It's going to be specific to the way that you are working with clients. It's going to be specific to the services that you are providing. It's going to be specific to your state, to your province, and it's going to be specific to any additional certifications that you may have. There are a number of insurance providers that will cover you as a coach, as a therapist, or both. It is up to you to source that out. It is up to you to do your research. All right. We covered a lot in this episode out of the entire six-part series. I think this is perhaps the, the heaviest episode. There were a lot of things to wrap our heads around. So I want to wrap this episode up by summarizing four common scenarios. Scenario number one, you are practicing as a therapist and using coaching techniques with your therapy client. Are there any issues with that? Absolutely not. It's fine. You are a therapist and you recognize that in order for your client to meet their goals, that you may be able to utilize some of your coaching skills, your coaching techniques. That is all well within your scope of practice. Carry on. Scenario number two, that same therapy client is now moving to a different province or a different state. They want to continue working with you online where they're paying out of pocket. So you decide to call yourself a coach. Same service, same business, same approach, same techniques, same tools. You're just flipping a switch to be able to work in the online space. That's not okay. It's not professional and it's messy. I'm not going to get into the specific rules and regulations. Let's just say it is sloppy. It is not clearly differentiating the type of work that you're doing and the outcomes that the client should be expecting. Then we have scenario number three. You're a therapist with a part-time clinical practice, and you're also working in the online space as a coach. You're marketing your coaching services as a separate entity. Before signing on a new coaching client, you take them through a discovery call process, you have them fill out an intake form, you screen them for red flags. As part of your onboarding process, you go through your coaching agreement together, including what coaching is and what the expectations are for both you and your client in terms of service delivery. They sign off on the coaching agreement and you continue your work together. Last but not least, scenario number four, you have a coaching client and since working with them, life happens. Maybe they've gone through a messy divorce and now they're describing symptoms of insomnia, depression, and anxiety. You happen to also have experience in mental health, but 
They are your coaching client. And you know that it's important to not offer concurrent therapy sessions within your coaching relationship. So what do you do? You refer them to a therapist. And then you have a discussion with them around the pros and cons of continuing your coaching work together while they're seeing a therapist. It doesn't have to be one or the other, but make sure that you have that conversation and that you keep the client's needs in mind. So again, you're keeping it separate and you're keeping it clean. Easy peasy, right? In conclusion, I know we covered a lot of info, but these are important conversations to have. Coaching and therapy are different professions, and they should be treated as such by those who wish to work in either or both capacities. Be a professional. Coaches must understand that having the education and training of a therapist doesn't authorize one to engage in the work of a coach on a whim. Get clear on the work that you're doing. Be a professional. Coaches have to understand that having the education and training of a therapist doesn't mean that you get to float back and forth. It doesn't mean that you get to engage in the work of a therapist on a whim. If you are establishing yourself as a coach, be clear on the work that you're doing. If you are establishing yourself as a therapist, be clear on the work that you're doing. Those who plan to offer coaching services should possess a clear understanding of how coaching and therapy are different. They should be able to explain those differences to potential coaching clients and maintain proper boundaries with those clients to avoid allegations of practicing therapy unlawfully. Review your provincial and state licensing laws to see what, if any, regulations exist with regards to coaching. Contact your provincial or state board for clarification if needed. Though, I will give you a heads up, sometimes that doesn't go as planned. Often, we may be ahead of the game in terms of what our organizations, our regulatory bodies are doing as trailblazers, and you may end up educating them. Consider consulting with an attorney, or at the very least, looking into various contracts and templates that were created by an attorney with a background in coaching or an understanding of coaching and healthcare. And we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but you also want to research which business entity is best if you're going to offer coaching. So again, do your best to keep it separate. In summary, I know I said we're going to wrap this up a couple of times now, but for real, let's wrap this up. So in summary, in this episode, you learned key differences between coaching and consulting. You also learned key differences between coaching and therapy. It is not a black and white scenario. So get clear on what works for you with your definition and then stay consistent. In this episode, you also learned ways of combining more than one role. So as skilled health educators, how we may be bringing some of that into the coaching relationship or as consultants, how we may be bringing some of our coaching skills into that consulting role, or as coaches, how there may be times that we are bringing that consulting piece in. 
There is advising, there's mentoring, there's coaching, and there's consulting. So there's a myriad of ways that we can be showing up. It is important to slow down, get clear, and establish that agreement with your client or with your potential clients before moving forward. Last but not least, I hope that you learned the importance of clearly differentiating what you're doing and how to keep things separate. I hope you have a better understanding of how you can step up as a coach and how you can practice with confidence, but also in a way that is ethical and in line with your morals and in line with your values. Okay, there you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed our second conversation on the Clinician to Coach series. In next week's episode, we're going to talk more about the steps you want to take in order to seamlessly navigate the startup phase of a coaching business. Episode four will explore the benefits of working one-on-one with your clients. And in episode five, we'll focus on how to actually get those clients. Last but not least, we're going to wrap the series up with our sixth episode all about creating your signature coaching program. Now I have a favor to ask. I would love to get this series in the ears of as many OTs as possible. So if you're enjoying this content, could you please take a screenshot for me and share it on social media? Or take a moment and personally recommend this series to an OT friend or colleague. Better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And if you don't want to miss any future episodes, including the upcoming episodes in this series, make sure you're subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you are listening to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the OT's Gone Rogue podcast, and I'll see you here next week. 